Welcome to the Money Mentor Podcast with your host, Graham Holm, aka Australia's Original Money Mentor. And again, we have the amazing Dr. Andrew Wilson. Now, again, in case this is your first time and you've been living under a rock, Dr. Andrew Wilson is Australia's leading independent property economist, and independent is the key word. His information and his advice and knowledge and data is not skewed towards any bank agenda, government agenda, any particular organization. I say again, independent leading economist. Now, who is Doc? What has he done? He's currently the chief economist of my housing market, previously chief economist of Domain Group and a whole heap of other uh, very well-respected organizations. Qualifications-wise, why do you need to stay tuned? Well, most of you know, but if you're not aware, uh, Dr. Andrew Wilson holds a Doctor of Philosophy in Housing Market Economics from RMIT University, Master of Science by Research, RMIT University, Graduate Diploma in Economics, Monash University. Bachelor of Construction Economics with a distinction. He's a smart cookie, RMIT University. He's also a member of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. So I'll leave it there because if you add all those letters up and you start going PhD, MSc, grad, he's got more letters after his name than I have in my legal three birth names. So good morning, Doc. Thank you very much, Graham. Yes, and a lot of hard work behind those those uh, letters, but, um, you know, I guess uh, it's important at least to have some formal qualifications in your, if you're speaking or presenting yourself as a, a talking head in a particular topic. So, yes, thank you very much for that. Well, and, just don't, don't, uh, what go, a week it's been. don't decide to study too much more because I get short of breath explaining <laughs> all your credentials. They're bloody brilliant. <laughs> no, it's all done, mate. I'm, I'm done with the study a long time ago, but uh, now it's all about engaging in the real world. And uh, that's what else we do at my housing market. We, uh, not just commentary, we also create the basis for the commentary with our own internal data sets, which are certainly comprehensive and robust um, and reliable too. So Absolutely. Uh, not and, just commentary. And for everyone tuning in for the first time here, we do this every week, Doc and I. We say it as it is. Doc goes through the data. We ask him some probing questions. But we also pop his LinkedIn profile in the show notes for you. So by all means, you can go and get access to all of Doc's data and information for free on his LinkedIn profile. So if it's your first time tuning in, check the show notes at the end of the session and there'll be a link there to Doc's LinkedIn profile. So Doc, what a week. You said it before, what a week it's been. Lots of headline topics this week. Yes, Graham, and I guess we've been holding out for the official inflation numbers. Um, it is a little backward looking, the ABS series. We, we uh, had the June quarter data released on Wednesday. Um, of course, you know, we are in the middle of this uh, expansion, this inflationary expansion. Prices are rising at, uh, at really record levels at the moment. Uh, we're uh, not alone in this environment. It's happening across the, across the globe. And uh, this is a result, of course, with all the stimulus packages that were uh, introduced to offset fears of the COVID lockdowns on, on economic growth. And uh, it's a bit like, you know, we've been paid forward to survived COVID, but now we've got to pay it back because it's created uh, significant shortages of uh, the capacity to meet all that demand. So supply has uh, underperformed and demand is overperformed. And of course, that leads to higher prices. And And now we're in the position of um, having to pay back all that that we were paid forward for. 
Um, and uh, that means higher interest rates. And uh, we all know that's the, the key story. But so inflation is the, uh, is the game and the RBA's task is to rein in inflation. And um, even though those inflation numbers released for the June quarter, uh, I guess at first glance were sobering. Inflation uh, has increased in Australia by 6.1% over the past year. Um, and these are the highest levels we've had since the early 80s. So it's, a, it's certainly a problem. Um, and underlying inflation is also, and that takes out all the volatile elements of the headline uh, measure, uh, underlying inflation is running at record levels at 4.7% per annum. But um, there are some, even though that's, you know, I guess sobering news, Graham, there were some, when we looked a little, in a little bit more detail in the actual numbers, there were some positive starting to emerge. The first thing we should remember is this data is for the June quarter. So we are looking backwards. Obviously, April, May and June are the periods that's covered. And most of the data is skewed towards the April and May uh, insights rather than the June insights. And of course, we're only a couple of days away from August, Graham. So we really are looking backwards. And the Reserve Bank will rely on this data when it meets next week for its uh, uh, monthly meeting to set official interest rates. And we'll talk about that perhaps a little later. But on the inflation data, once again, what's driving inflation in Australia is high prices for fuel. We know that there's uh, we've had uh, recently record oil prices. The uh, dollar per barrel price of oil reached $127, and that was a, an all-time record a couple of months ago. Um, again, as a result of too much demand and not enough supply being able to come through due to COVID influences. Uh, and also the European war, the Ukraine war has constrained oil supplies as well. So once again, oil played a big part, the price of petrol um, played a big part in the inflation data for the June quarter. And the other bogey for inflation has been the cost of building a new house. Now, we had a part of the stimulus packages uh, at the beginning of last year was the home builder policy announced by the previous government that created a surge in demand for new housing, for new houses. Um, and, of course, the building industry couldn't keep up with that surge. And we've seen a, a massive increase in house building costs. Uh, my housing market has a monthly index that it, uh, that it uh, re- produces regarding the cost of building a house. And the latest index data, which is for May, the year to May has uh, uh, building costs for houses up 24% over the year, which, of course, is a record. 24%? 24% in a year. Now, typically, we're used to seeing building costs rise by around about 2 or 3% Graham, a year, um, depending on the cycle, but roughly 2 or 3% a year. So you can see what a big difference that is from just, you know, a notional typical inflation rate, uh, 2 to 3% to 23%. Mm. And, of course, that's well ahead of what uh, what inflation is running at. So if you're building a house, sadly, uh, it's, it's a tough time, but it's a tougher time for builders who are really struggling on those fixed-price contracts to meet the contracts because, you know, materials and labour has just uh, skyrocketed. Now, it is just a result of too much demand and uh, not enough supply. We're also seeing that the rate of uh, increase in house building costs hasn't declined as yet. So there's still we still have demand well ahead of supply. And I think it's going to take a little while for us to you know, have that, those demand levels sort of normalise 
and therefore see the growth in building costs uh, start to ease. So that's going to continue to play a factor in the inflation rate. However, we um, are seeing lower uh, prices globally for oil. Um, the price of oil has fallen. It's still quite high uh, in terms of the historical measures, but uh, it has started to move downwards. Now, everybody would, would have noticed that with the price uh, of petrol generally now well below $2 a litre, um, and it was above $2 a litre there for a while. So the one thing I guess about those numbers for the June quarter is they're not taking into account what has been the recent uh, easing of oil costs. So and that'll be a positive when we get that September quarter data uh, moving into inflation. But building costs are still rising, Graham, for house building. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a few builds going at the moment and I keep getting requests for price increases. And sadly, I have to keep saying yes, because if I don't and I go to another builder, it's going to cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars more. And, right. and obviously these guys can't trade insolvent. They've got to at least cover costs and pay their suppliers and, and staff and that. But, Doc, I just want to inject before we go too deep because you and I can get too deep too quick. I want to just backtrack a minute because people tuning in for the first or second time here are going to say, I've heard the word inflation 379 yep. times during this podcast. What the frig does inflation actually mean? So I think it's um, I think it's really important that we actually touch on if you could just break down for our listeners at home, what is inflation? What forms that basket of goods and items? How do we calculate inflation, normal headline, et cetera? And just break that down for the listeners. I think that would be really important for people that have no financial understanding of what inflation is at all and why is it so significant? Well, inflation, Graham, is just the movement of prices in the economy. That's prices for goods and prices for services essentially, right? So that tells us how they're moving on, a, and we measure, the ABS measures it. We'll talk about the measurement, uh, how that's changing uh, shortly. But the ABS measures that uh, over a quarterly basis. Well, how do they measure it? Well, what they do is they take a, or they create a typical basket of goods and services that we would use. So they uh, create a model based on um, what we would typically spend um, you know, what typically our expenditure would be on a household basis, right? So that covers everything, you know, your groceries, your rent, your fuel. Um, and what they do is they then uh, weight each of those items according to how they're important they are as a proportion of what you're, what you're spending, if you understand what I mean. And, and, Doc, just to drill into that, what things are weighted more heavily? Are mortgage repayments and rent rated more heavily because it's a large proportion of what pe- families earn? Or is fuel rated more heavily? Well, it's about you know how much you contribute, how much is assessed as the household budget contributes to each of these particular items. Now, uh, obviously, housing costs are very important, uh, and, and then you have subsets of so they have a general uh, category such as housing costs, and then they have a subset of that which is the cost to build a house, and then it's the cost to rent a house. Now, these have a higher proportion or a higher weighting uh, when they're put together in the actual inflation rate because you are spending a higher proportion of your uh, income on that on those particular factors. And of course, fuel is another important factor uh, of what households are spending um, from their typical, you know, from their typical income source. So it's first of all, across the board, they, you know, determine what that basket of goods contains. Um, and then they 
determine what proportion each of those items take uh, from the from the budget, right? So, uh, and, and every now and again, they reassess what that uh, basket of goods should contain, and they also reassess what weighting, what proportion each of those items has out of the uh, out of the out of the monthly spend, you know, uh, out of the quarterly spend. Um, now, the interesting thing is Australia, unlike um, you know most other advanced economies, has this quarterly measure of inflation, right? Um, whereas the US Eurozone areas um, mm. economies, they have a monthly measure. So we're actually looking back uh, over a three-month period. And as we've just described, we've alre- we already know that there are significant changes to what's happened over the last three months, even now for that June quarter data, because we know the fuel costs have fallen um, you know, quite reasonably over the last month. So that's going to have less of an impact on inflation, the number, because and it, cause it is highly weighted because fuel does take a higher proportion of um, the, the, of your expenditure. You know what I mean? So now we know that that's less, and yet the number that we've had just released will be all that the Reserve Bank can rely on when it sets its interest rates next week. So you know that they're, they're already behind the eight ball in terms of not uh, knowing what's happening now. Uh, really, all they know is what's happened you know, uh, three or four months ago. So the ABS is responding to this as they should and I guess there's a lot of concern over this. It's interesting, Uh, Doc, because it was only late June that poor Philip Lowe, the RBA boss, uh, almost got laughed off stage in Switzerland in front of all the advanced economies like the US, the UK, Canada. He literally was talking about how we're using this data from three, four months ago. And they, yeah. the poor guy nearly got laughed off stage. But there's yes, actually a change right now, is there not, I believe? Yes, the ABS has announced that it's um, working on a monthly model. Um, obviously, there's some complexity involved here, Graham, because they have to rejig the whole process of how they determine the basket of goods, how they determine the weighting of each of those uh, items. Um, and they have to you know, work it out so it's over a month and not three months, right? So they have to look at their data sources uh, for them to be reliable, uh, as I said, normally that three that three monthly data set uh, means it's sort of accurate over the first two months because they can get quite robust insights. Um, but they'll need more resources probably to get an accurate view on a month to month basis. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, to make sure it's effective. And of course, in the current economic circumstances, it's very important, Graham, that they get this right. Um, because you know interest rate policy will be determined of, uh, on those month-to-month outcomes. I'm not sure this is going to happen quickly, but no. certainly at least they're moving in the right direction to get this monthly measurement of uh, inflation up and running. So, um, and and I mean, so we're, so what we're we're slowly moving our reserve bank out of the Stone Age. In saying yeah. <laughs> in saying that, we're pretty strong, Doc. We're pretty strong as a nation, like. When you talk about Absolutely. the US now versus us, yeah. I did a live event last night on Zoom and everyone's going, oh, we're going to, what happens if we head into a recession? I said, I'd welcome it. We'd be one step closer to normalizing. And and what does a recession actually mean? Like mum and dad freak out hearing that on the news. What What's happening in the States right now? Well, the first thing is absolutely correct, Graham, that we are in a strong position. We can just look at those headline comparisons. Australia's inflation rate increased by 6.1%, which is a, a very big number, the highest number we've had you know, since the early 80s. But the US inflation rate uh, over 
uh, over uh, July increased, sorry, over June increased 9.1. by 9.1%. Mm. So they're still, and that was another, you know, record or biggest result since the early 80s for them. So they're, they're ahead of the game, we could probably say, in terms of inflation. But they have a different economy, uh, Graham. They don't have the same positive constraints we have to to controlling inflation. And believe it or not, the big, and just before I go there, the, the better news out of our inflation data, and I think this needs to be explained, the mm. latest inflation data, we mentioned that uh, oil and house building costs again made up the majority of the increase in mm. prices or the inflation rate over the June quarter. But uh, when we look at the breakdown of all those, uh, all those uh, items in the inflation rate, it was mostly goods, Graham, because what we have in our economy is, is, is broken down into goods and services. Mm. So it's goods which are still uh, rising in price such as oil and uh, the price of building a house, mm. uh, that is pushing up our inflation rate. Um, but services, which is you know not reliant to the same degree on a, uh, a supply chain uh, as goods are, uh, and therefore you know not constrained by what's happened through COVID with too much demand and not enough capacity to supply the demand. So, but services are still not showing any inflationary growth, Graham, and that's a really good. Uh, a really good insight into Australia's inflation outlook because it's once um, inflation gets into services, that represents the uh, real movement through the economy of inflation. And that's one of the differences we have uh, compared to the US where goods and services are both rising quite strongly, the prices of goods and services. Because once you get services running, you then get the expectation that inflation is going to continue. And it's the expectation by consumers that, you know, prices are going to rise by X amount, say 5% a year, that then continues to push that to becoming self-fulfilling, if you know what I mean. And mm. then that means that those consumers will start saying, no, nah, I want a 5% increase in my wages. And then when we get those increase in mm. wages, uh, the boss has to put up prices by the 5% to cover them. And then, you know, the expectation for inflation starts to rise. But at this stage, Australia is certainly by comparison with uh, the Eurozone and the US in a better position because the price of services is not rising uh, yet uh, as the prices of goods are and the prices of goods have risen because of, um, you know, the issues with uh, uh, lack of supply through COVID stimulus. So that was actually a good result, Graham. Uh, when we look at that inflation data, so it was a bit like what we discussed last week, the good news, bad news story. Mm. The bad news with inflation was, yes, it is uh, still uh, rising. While the other good news, we, we're still rising, but we're not seeing services uh, prices rising as goods are. And the other thing was, Graham, um, that the rate of growth was um, 1.8% over the June quarter, which was actually lower than the 2% increase over the March quarter. So the actual rate, monthly rate of inflation uh, fell from quarter, sorry, the quarterly rate of inflation fell from quarter to quarter. So, mm. you know, again, some more um, glimmers of positivity coming out of that inflation data for Australia. Um, as we saw the, the positive news from the uh, unemployment numbers for June, which of course were a record. So, um, the next important data set to come out, Graham, will be the wage price index. So that'll show us what if wages have responded yet to 
higher prices. But one of the positives for Australia is we're not like the US and our wage increases are quite sticky. They're not, US workers can actually quite quickly uh, ask the boss for extra, um, extra income to cover higher prices. Whereas in Australia, we have a much more subdued response because of mainly we have annual wage fixing environments, if you know what I mean. People have, uh, you know, enterprise bargains where their wages are reviewed every year. So, you know, that means that it's not as volatile, but it also means that we don't get into as quickly anyway that wages prices spiral where we're asking for higher wages and then the boss has to put up the, the uh, their prices to cover the wages and then we ask for higher wages, you know, et cetera, and we, we move on. And, and the next thing you know, we're Venezuela and a carton of eggs is $600. That's right. And, uh, and, you know, we don't certainly want that and that's what we're trying to avoid. But on any measure, Graham, Australia is better positioned than any other uh, advanced economy, particularly the US. And some a newsflash, Graham, uh, hot off the press, the latest uh, economic data out of the US has revealed that the US is now in a recession. Well, hang on, hang on. This is a scary word, Doc. I got asked yes. this last night. A recession means that the the, the 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 national economy has. Has, has pooed the bed, like everyone's going to lose their yep. homes, like we're going to lose our job. What does a recession actually mean, firstly, in well, any this country? Well, this is a vexed question, Graham, and it, uh, it uh, generates a lot of heat. But uh, essentially, a recession is accepted as being the retraction of the economy as measured by gross domestic product, which is GDP, uh, over two consecutive quarters, right? So if the economy goes backwards, as measured by GDP, uh, over two consecutive quarters, then that's regarded uh, notionally as being a official recession. So that's sort of a capital R recession. But there are many, many different uh, interpretations mm. of what a recession is. So the US, and for example, the US has moved into a recession technically because it has uh, gone backwards, its economy, as measured by GDP, has gone backwards over two consecutive quarters. However, it has an unemployment rate of 3.6%, which is the lowest for decades, right? So everybody's got a job, wages are rising, yes, inflation's higher, but the economy went backwards twice in a row, two quarters in a row. So the real point, and a lot of economists would say this, is yes, okay, if you've got your two quarters of negative growth, um, that's just one part of the story. Mm. Uh, and typically, when you do get two quarters of negative growth, you also see other factors such as falling wages and higher unemployment. Well, we haven't got that in the US. So the inflation is just a word at the moment, and it doesn't have a lot of meaning because, in, uh, sorry, recession is a word at the moment. It doesn't have a lot of meaning, mm. but certainly inflation has a lot of meaning um, at the moment. So what there is out of all of this is a term called stagflation. Um, stagflation, not to be confused with a stag party, right? <laughs> no, no, but it's stagflation. Stagflation, uh, okay. Yeah not, yeah, not quite as exciting as the stag party, but uh, nonetheless, it, it is a, a horror story to some degree because it means you not only have high inflation, but you have low growth. Um, and, and that means that you know there are no benefits, at least coming forward, through uh, through uh, increased economic activity from higher prices. So, you know, I'm not sure we're going to be in that environment. But the whole point to the US experience in terms of Australia 
is the US are down the track somewhat to where we are, right? Not only is our inflation outlook, although still obviously uh, not not good, it's well below the US, where 6.1 compared to 9.1. Um, but also the US is now showing those early signs that higher interest rates, and they went into higher interest rates earlier than Australia, are starting to affect the US economy. Um, and given that they have the different environment for setting wages, it would also mean that they're more likely to see higher unemployment coming through sooner because you know they have that capacity to be able to cut wages when demand starts to ease, which unlike Australia has a more rigid uh, mm. wage environment. So bosses can't really cut wages in that same environment. So you know all things um, being equal, which I guess they never are, but nonetheless, the US is certainly down the track. Uh, closer to, they would hope, controlling inflation mm. and not getting into a stagflation environment where inflation is still high, but growth is falling or flat. Um, and the point to that is that that will actually benefit us, Graham, because if the US starts to slow down, it will actually help us slow down, but not through the sort of the sledgehammer of higher interest rates. Mm. It'd just be less demand for our goods from America. Uh, and that means that, um, you know, that'll start to ease the uh, inflationary environment to some degree with less demand. We talked about this, Doc, and said that go hard, go for the harder and quicker we go up on rates, also the harder and quicker we come down and normalise somewhere in the middle. So oh, if, that's right. if and, America's and already heading to this recession point and yep, you're yep, going, yep. well, what I'm hearing from you is, Let's get it over with. Let's get there. Let's normalise. And that's great for us because we're three, four months behind looking at a history book to go, well, what's yeah. our data look like? We're probably closer yeah. to normalising than we actually realise. That's actually right. And we're being, I guess, you know, we always, we're regarded as the lucky country, Graham. Um, and maybe, again, we'll, we'll take advantage of being a sort of a laggard with all these scenarios and everything's working in our favour to be able to come out in a better position than uh, other advanced economies that are going through the same scenario because of all these factors that are unique to Australia, you know, particularly the way wages uh, are set. So the wages data next uh, week after the next that comes out for, again, backward looking for the June quarter, will tell us whether we've continued to at least keep a lid on wages to some degree. And we need to do that, Graham, to stop inflation getting out of control, right? Now, we all want to be able to cover higher prices, but, um, you know, we don't want to be getting ahead of the game to the point where that reinforces higher prices. Um, and I think it's because, as we've discussed before, Graham, in Australia, we also have a number of offsets to higher interest rates that mean that this isn't as tough as we've seen in previous periods. We have this remarkable full um, full employment economy. Everybody who wants a job can get a job. There's no doubt that mm. wages are rising. The question is how fast. We've got high levels of savings. Um, you know, our mortgages have the three percent buffer, so we can mm. cover that. And let's look at the really big picture here, Graham. Our current, the current uh, official interest rate is one point three eight percent, Graham. Okay, mortgage rates on average are around about four point eight percent at the moment. Um, now, if we go back before when we last increased interest rates, which was 2011, if we look at 
the average official RBA interest rate uh, before 2011, it was 5%, Graham, mm. 5%. We're at 1.38 now. Now, we're likely perhaps, I believe, to get maybe around 3%, fingers crossed, um, and maybe by the end of uh, this year, the middle of next year. But we're still going to be, low, be below what our average rate was um, prior to the, the last economic boom mm. that we had, which was 5%. And as I said, part of the, the way we'll survive this is um, in better shape than most is because of our sort of unique circumstances and all the capacity we have at the moment as an economy and as individuals to absorb higher interest rates. And like I said, I think that uh, the US is probably doing us a favour in some sense by moving, obviously starting to move into uh, a downturn. Now, we've had, again, hot off the press, Graham. I know it keeps coming here. Um, <laughs> more bad news, good news uh, for this week. And we come out with the latest news, and that's what we're here to do um, in, our, uh, in, our monthly, in our weekly uh, Insights uh, podcast. Uh, and we had the retail sales for June come out as well. And retail sales are very important, Graham, mm. in telling us what's happening with inflation because obviously that tells us how much we're spending. Um, now, consumers' retail sales again rose to another record high over June. So people are still spending, and that means that they're spending, you know, and pushing up prices and creating supply uh, blockages. That's, that's interesting, Doc. Do you, you think people listening to the news and the clickbait and headlines and inflation and recession and stagflation, uh, you think they'd have a bit of sphincter pucker before they pulled the purse or the wallet out of the back pocket? But they're still spending at record levels. That's right. And um, this, again, is you know another sign that Australia is getting on with the business. But now the, the point is we can't keep spending at record levels because that will work its way into inflation, right? Mm. But mm. Um, the, the, uh, and, and if we look at the uh, retail sales since COVID, uh, they are so far ahead of where they were typically uh, before COVID, because we, we've just been given all this money and we've spent it, Graham, um, and, yep. and that's what's continued, and that's what's driven inflation because we've we've had so much demand, spending all this, uh, all these, uh, uh, you know, all this income we've got from uh, stimulus packages that uh, we haven't been uh, supply hasn't been able to keep up. It's just like you know the the home builder scenario, but just generally, you know, that we've got all this demand and we can't supply it, so that's pushed prices up. But the interesting thing was, yes, it was another record month for retail sales, um, and it was the sixth consecutive rise in retail sales, and they're still really well ahead of where they were prior to COVID. So we're still spending our savings, right, that we put away during COVID, yeah. um, and our extra income that we're getting through wage rises. But it, the uh, the rate of increase was actually the lowest we've seen for a while over that six period. So even though it was higher, it's not retail sales are not growing at the rate that they were growing. In fact, they mm. only grew by 0.2%. So that's another good sign that we're starting Settling to down. rein in spending yep. and that those higher interest rates are starting to affect demand. But it's all happening in a moderating environment mm. rather than a, a steep decline. So really, it's, it's looking pretty reasonable for um, you know, for uh, for the outlook, particularly for Australia. Now, uh, I guess next week we'll be looking at the official 
uh, numbers for the housing market uh, or our numbers for the housing market for prices and rent uh, over July. July is just about done and dusted. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can then talk at depth at how the housing market, how housing markets have performed over the last uh, over the last month, and I think there's some interesting news there as well, Graham. Yeah, yeah. Now, Doc, just jumping jumping around a bit. When we go back to the you know early sorry early 2000s, the, the tail end of the first 2000 and ten, first I guess 10 years, when rates did go up the last time in like 2010, 2011. Yep. I also remember myself on one of my first home loans in the early 2000s where at the bank and I was a banker and I was a wanker banker and I had all the gear and no idea. And I remember at the time there was a mad rush of people going, and I can't remember exactly, say variable rate was 6%, but there was a mad rush that, you know, they're going to announce a quarter of a percent rise and you can fix for 5.99 today and beat the bank if it goes to 6.24 or 6.25. Now. I don't know if people recall, but you'd recall this. When those rates did start to creep a quarter of a percent, a quarter of a percent, and on the way up with that backwards-looking data, I remember myself, it was only about a two-year period where two and a bit where rates actually went up so much and scared everyone and then actually came back down below or to where they were before all the fear started. Do you remember that? Yes, I do, Graham. And look, you know, banks are, are clever in their product uh, development and their product promotion, um, and that's the point. The, the fixed-term rate is, is there, it serves a purpose, and that's to make profits for the bank. Um, you know, uh, variable rates rise and fall with the economy and how the Reserve Bank fixes rates, whereas ver- uh, uh, variable rates and fixed-term rates, however, are about perceptions of where rates will be in the future, Right not where they are, official rates, where they are right now. Well, you said something and interesting, Doc. You said they're there for profit. So they're not there to give security and peace of mind to the consumer that they can beat the bank and pay a lower fixed amount for a short period of time because when yeah. they come out of the fixed rates, if they are higher, which is what the consumers are punting on, yeah. if they are higher, they might have had a, a felt like they got a free ride for two or three years, but now they're screwed because yeah. they're coming out 2% higher and they don't have yeah. any historical – I guess, tact or skill set of handling those new payments because they, they were lower for a period of time. It's almost like it's almost like putting it to the side and pretending it's not a problem for a couple of years, right? And what if the economy isn't in, in a strong shape then as it is now? And as I said, you know, you've then got not only to find another, uh, you know, mortgage, no. uh, you have to, you know, be confident that you'll have the capacity to service that mortgage at the same level as you can when you've taken out the original mortgage, you know, mm. and things change. And, and the, the whole point that if you're in a higher interest rate environment, potentially, and that's why you're fixing, means that there might be not, uh, the, the economy might not be traveling as well as it was initially, you know, mm. then that's the reason why rates, the reason rates are rising now is to reduce demand. Mm. And that means higher unemployment, uh, you know, notionally. Now, as I said, I think the key element is here is that a variable rate is about here and now. It's about what the economy is doing here and now. And it changes according to what the economy is doing here and now because it's uh, it's a reflection of what the Reserve Bank is doing. A fixed rate is about uh, taking a punt on the future. So it's about looking into the future. It's about crystal ball gazing rather than what's happening here and now. And the vast majority still take out variable rates. Uh, 
you know, loans. But, of course, there is that element of wanting to beat the system. Now, the bank can work on that, you know, perception uh, of the future and not the reality of today and create, you know, products that are clearly designed to make profit, right? Um, and that's the point. It's those have, that have taken out those lower fixed-term rates uh, a year ago um, will, when they mature in, you know, perhaps 18 months, two years' time, are certainly going to have to pay uh, a higher rate. Uh, and if they fix it, they will be a significantly higher rate, as well as the, the on and off costs that come when mm. you, uh, you know, get out of a mortgage and get into a new mortgage. Like I said, it's all about perceptions of the future, fixed-term rates, and, you know, who knows what the future is going to hold, um, whereas variable rates are about the here and now, which is about yep, certainty. Absolutely. You know? and, and adjusting your, adjusting your living expenses in your life, Doc, to the here and now. Okay, rates are going right. up. We might not. We might have one less bottle of wine or one less takeout a week. But actually, learning to live in the current state comfortably is is very important, as opposed to pushing it to the side, ignoring it, and then trying to backpedal in two or three years. So, really good advice there. And Australians have been quite prudent through the uh, COVID period, Graham. In fact, the banks acknowledge that uh, a high proportion of mortgagees have actually paid for their mortgages. They've paid them down. Absolutely. Um, At a rate that we've never previously seen on record. Yeah. We've got a bucket load of redraw and offset and savings. Yeah. So, so a lot of those savings and those stimulus package, uh, you know, bonuses were paid off, were put into the mortgage to pay it off. So uh, a lot of mortgagees are well ahead of their repayment, you know. Uh, again, that's another sort of positive for how we can survive, um, you know, higher interest rates. And and the point is that, you know, again, you've got to reiterate that this is an economy where everybody who wants a job's got a job and it's economy, as I'm sure we'll see, where wages are, are now rising. Now, I'm not sure they're going to be rising steeply, but that will be revealed in a week or two's time, Graham, by the ABS. But, but certainly um, most of the negatives are based on, you know, just really woolly perceptions of fear that have no um, that have no basis in history and really have no basis when we look at the facts going forward. And I think a lot of the negativity will start to dissipate when we do see that uh, the roof's not going to fall in, not just for the economy but also for housing markets. Well, I was just going to ask you before we wrap up today, Doc, what is, what is your current – I mean, it can change from week to week in different data sets, but – What's your current forecast or prediction to, to see out the year for the housing market around Australia? And, and better yet, then, where do you see the economy sitting into the new year? Well, I think we're going to have a lot more certainty, as we will, by the end of the year for the economy. Um, it's interesting, Graham, that we've yet to really see the uh, migration numbers start to work their way into Australia. Mm. I've had some insights, uh, insights that there's a lot of... Um, visa applications that are actually on hold at the moment. And we're talking a, a number of thousands of visa applications for some reason are not being processed at the moment because we're not really seeing that surge in migration that we were promised this year, the 200,000. Um, and that's yet to have its impact. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have such low unemployment rates because we just don't have enough workers. But of course, once we do get that flow of migration, that will influence not just uh, the supply of labour, but also demand for housing. Um, which will start to turn around, you know, what we're seeing is, is a, um, an easing, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne of house price growth. But I think Sydney's the market that 
led the upward movement in prices. Of course, we know Sydney house prices increased by 55% over the three wow. years to March this year, which is remarkable. Um, and now I think it'll be down around 7 to 10% at worst this year. Um, okay. But again, it'll still be around 30% higher than where it was uh, three years ago. Um, but no surprise that the Sydney market's been the, the star you know, performer, and that is the market that um, you know, corrected or certainly eased uh, at the, at the uh, uh, earliest stage. A Melbourne market, also, again, a very strong performer over recent years, uh, is also easing. But uh, it's not, I don't think it'll uh, fall as much as Sydney this year. I think it's around about uh, around about five or six percent for the Melbourne market because, of course, that'll be uh, that'll be supported by migration when it starts to come through, mm-hmm. as Melbourne typically is. Typically is yeah. Um, but the other markets, I think, will end uh, above the line this year, um, and that's Adelaide, Perth, and Brisbane. So they'll still record growth this year, although the Brisbane market is certainly tracking backwards uh, recently. But no surprise, given how strong house price growth has been in Brisbane. We had house prices at one stage up over 40% in a year last year in Brisbane <laughs> on an annual basis, and that's just remarkable. And that median house price now well over 800000 in Brisbane. It's just a question that buyers have, have satisfied all that demand, and um, uh, you know they just really can't continue to bid up prices at the rate they have. But I still think the Brisbane market will finish above the line this year, as okay. well as Adelaide and Perth. There you go. All right. Well, Doc, thank you as always. Some amazing insight for the week and uh, look forward to catching up again next week. There's some interesting data, as you said, coming out over the coming weeks. Yeah, we'll have the, the data for July for rents and prices so we can look at that in some depth and also how the auction markets have performed. And they're still holding up as well. And auction volumes are actually probably surprisingly uh, stable uh, for this time of year, you know, and we are right in the middle of the winter market, Graham. But auction numbers are actually holding, and that means that sellers are still quite happy to engage the market despite all the, the negativity and the fact that we're coming from such a strong growth cycle. Mm. And and we're about to head into the spring selling season, which is always yes. the peak selling season. So there's yes. there's more volume of sales, but there's also more competition and more stock on market. So people can get... Yes a bit confused and diluted in the data because all of a sudden they go, oh, auction clearance rates have gone from 70% to 60, but they need to factor in there's five times as many properties on the market for sale. So that's right. they've got to be careful about which data they consume or how they interpret it, which I, I, that's why we'll always pop your LinkedIn in the show notes for everybody. Um, but that'll be yeah. a great one next week, guys. Tune in, Doc. We'll, we'll go through the first month for July of the financial year and see how we're tracking this fin year. And we look at rents too, Graham, and, and rents are a horror story still for tenants. So there'll be no relief for that, but we can look at vacancy rates and rents as well. Um, but uh, I think the next month, as you, you suggested, will really be the acid test for the direction of our housing markets going forward. And that'll be all about whether we start to see increased uh, numbers coming into the market, as we typically do through the spring selling season. And that'll mean that sellers are, are starting to you know, ignore a lot of the noise that's happening about doom and gloom and are getting on with the business of buying and selling property. Well, that's going to be a cracker. Look forward to it, Doc. Appreciate your time and we'll catch up next week. All good. Thank you, Graham. Thanks, Doc. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope this one's helped. Again, if you are not an Infinity family member and you are struggling financially and you'd love some help, 
feel free to head over to www.money-mentor.com.au, register for our online or live or virtual Money Mentor Masterclass. And uh, if you're struggling, hit us up for a discount code, drop us a DM on social media and we'll do what we can to help. Over and out, guys.